0: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Anne. So today, we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, There is one theory about the origins of Mark, and it's that a lot of it was from a storytelling tradition. And uh, some actors have, have really taken this and used it well to God's glory. And so today, instead of having a traditional scripture reading, I invite you to watch with me the actor Max McLean, perform our text for today from Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. And uh, if you're engaged by this, I encourage you to watch the whole thing. It's on YouTube. You can ask me for more details about the link, but um, it's a great way to hear the word of God shared today. So may God bless this performance of his word.
1: chain hand and foot but he tore the chains apart he broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones when he saw jesus from a distance he ran he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice what do you want with me jesus son of the most high god swear to god you won't torture me but jesus was saying to him Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. We are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs! Allow us to go to them! He gave them permission. The demons came out, went into the pigs. The herds, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs... They ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. (laughs) And the people came out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. they told about the pigs as well. (laughs) Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home. To your family, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were. This is the
0: word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is an exciting story, isn't it? I mean, it's more exciting when it's performed by Max McLean. And this is really how I think Bible reading should be. It gives us this certain urgency, like it's happening in the moment. It actually mirrors what Mark is doing in his gospel. These, these short little film-like portions, and they stand alone, but they're also linked to what happens before and what happens next. And so today, we've picked up where we left off, off last week, right after Jesus stills the storm. We might remember that when Jesus stills the storm, it reminds the disciples of the words of the psalmist that said only God could still the storm. It reminds the disciples of the sailors in the story of Jonah when God stills the storm, where we witness and see God's power over the water, which is best remembered in the story of God's people, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea on dry land with waves on both sides. And the disciples say, who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. And so Jesus and his disciples have made it across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, which is also called Gadarenes, which is Gentile territory. It is opposite Galilee in more ways than one, and they've crossed the sea, and they are now in a new territory. And right on the shore, as Jesus is getting out of the boat, He's met by the welcome committee of one, one man. And the text describes him as one with an unclean spirit, an evil spirit, a demon. And this is how we can know. First, this man has superhuman strength. He can't be bound with chains. He breaks them. And it's not because he's worked out a lot. It's because he's inhabited by a demon, or later we learn many, Two, he self-injures. He's harming his own body. Now, now, this alone isn't by itself indicative of demon possession, but remember that demons want to harm people, and they're causing this man to harm himself. And three, this is probably most significant. This man has knowledge a normal person would not have. He greets Jesus as Jesus, Son of God, the Most High. No regular person would have known this Jesus didn't have a sign floating over his head he looked like a normal guy right nobody would have known this especially not a gentile who didn't witness Jesus baptism on the other side of the lake so it's important to know that this is not just a crazy guy this is not just a person who would benefit from medication and therapy this is a real legit indwelling of a demonic power now I want to address a few things before we go on on this story. Because when we talk about spiritual powers, about angels and demons, there's sort of a tendency for people to fall into one of two camps of response. And this is Christians or anyone else there. And so I'm going to lean on C.S. Lewis a bit to explicate this further. C.S. Lewis writes in the introduction to his book, The Screwtape Letters, which I highly recommend this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So for us, when we approach this particular story, some might be tempted to say, well, they thought it was a demon then, but really it's a mental illness that can be explained by brain chemistry. Now, this this perspective is sometimes true. There is mental illness caused by brain chemistry. I agree with that. But this perspective over-materializes everything and always seeks a spiritual cause, and this is a problem. It never seeks a spiritual cause, sorry. This is a problem because scripture and church tradition teach us that there is a real spiritual realm. There are actual demons and angels. So the materialist is one extreme. But the other extreme is just as pernicious and dangerous. And this is to overemphasize the spiritual reality to the point of obsession. In this perspective, every bad thing is caused by a demon, not by human sin, not by a fallen world. And it's to, to meditate and ponder on this reality, to look for evil spirits around every corner. Maybe it's to primarily pray against evil spirits rather than to pray to know God. And I I would say that this perspective is actually in in great contrast to the entire purpose of our scripture because our scripture always points us toward Jesus, toward our salvation from sin and death and evil powers, including demons. Paul writes in, in Colossians, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them triumphing over them in it, in his death on the cross. So I, I do wanna emphasize that the purpose of scripture isn't really to tell us that much about angels and demons because even though that realm does exist, it is not the realm in which humanity has dominion. We have dominion over the physical realm. We can learn about it and know about it, right? And our connection with the spiritual realm is through the Holy Spirit, God. And that's all we need. That's our spiritual invitation to be connected with God, who is a spirit, and to Christ, who is made manifest to us by the Holy Spirit. So that's a little teaching in the middle. Back to Mark 5. So we have established that this guy is demon possessed, it is not simply a mental illness. And what Jesus says to the spirit is, come out, unclean spirit, from that man. And the spirit knows it has to obey. And so it starts to grovel and plead, don't look over here. Pay no attention to me. But that doesn't work. So it continues, I implore you in the name of God, don't torment me. Because the demon knows that it is going to face judgment, but it wasn't its time yet, or so it thought. And Jesus asks the demon its name. And the demon responds, my name is army. I think this is a great translation. My name is army, for we're a crowd. Not just one demon, thousands. A legion in Roman military terms is thousands. And in using this particular name, the spirits have raised the stakes. This is a battle. And each of the characters know how it's going to turn out, right? The demons know they can't stay where Jesus is. They know something is going to happen to them, and they try to figure a way out. Can we inhabit these pigs, they ask. Sure, says Jesus. And so this army of demons leaves the man and enters the pigs, and the pigs rush into the Sea of Galilee. Now imagine the story being first heard in a Jewish context. It would have been hilarious. Not so much for the pig owners. I do want to say, if you're concerned about the pigs, which makes sense because pigs are as smart as dogs, um, there are other passages in scripture that do point to animal welfare as an ethical value for God's people. God does care about the welfare of animals, but in this story, Jesus' concern is for the human beings and his power over the spiritual realm. And also, as a literary side note, If we think of Jesus stilling the storm as reminiscent of the parting of the Red Sea, here the Exodus story is continued because we can see the pigs as the horses and the demons as the riders, and God is drowning another army in the sea because Jesus' presence overcomes demons and evil powers. In the first century, Jewish people and Gentiles acknowledged the presence of evil spirits. Nobody had to convince them. And they would practice exorcism. Often somebody might use a a type of a charm or an amulet and they would pray to God or whatever local deities they had. But what we see here is that Jesus doesn't pray. He doesn't ask God. He doesn't say, if it's your will, because Jesus' presence overcomes demons because Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God with him. This isn't a sign that the kingdom is coming, This isn't an appetizer. This is the real thing in the moment. The kingdom is there, right there with Jesus, and this is amazing. So how do people respond to this? There are three primary different responses we can see. First, let's look at the man. The man, this unnamed man who has been possessed by an army of demons. He is changed, literally He changes on the outside and the inside. He puts on clothes. And then rather than wandering around in the tombs near the realm of the dead, right, he's sitting down peacefully in his right mind. The the person he was before, he was inhabited by a legion of demons, is back but better than before. And he knows that Jesus has changed him. So he begs to go with Jesus on the boat. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that moment? The gratefulness in his eyes and this this humility and boldness of his ask? But Jesus says, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And this changed man obeys, he becomes a missionary a Gentile missionary telling people about his encounter with Jesus changed his life. And the people who hear the story, and this is the second response, they're amazed because the story is amazing. The change is amazing. The people listening to his story, I bet they remember trying to chain him up so he wouldn't hurt himself anymore. They they had seen his violence. Maybe he had even been violent towards some of them. Maybe some of them had been harmed by him. But they see the change, and they're amazed. Look at what God has done for him, they're saying. So a changed response, an amazed response. And then the last response. Those who had seen this exorcism, and who had heard about the pigs, who had seen the pigs run into the water, who had lost all their investment in pork, they had heard about how Jesus had changed him. There's no doubt that Jesus is more powerful than these demons. And so these people are afraid. What else is he going to change? What else could we lose? And so they too plead with Jesus. It's the same verb that's used when it says the demons plead with Jesus. They plead with him to leave their region. Too much power, too much change. So they reject him. Please go. Just, just please get away. Just go. Go. Please go. Jesus had cast out an army of demons, but the people and their fear, they cast out Jesus. So three responses: change and discipleship following, amazement and awe, and then fear and rejection. And as we meditate on this story today, we're left with the same three possibilities for a response: discipleship. Amazement and awe. I think you can have the first two together. (laughs) And then fear that leads to rejection. Where are you in the story? How have you interacted with Jesus here? So take a take a moment and ask yourself what's my response to Jesus? But no matter. Where you are in this story, you might be left with more questions than you started out with, right? Maybe you feel more afraid of demons. That makes sense. They're real and powerful, and it's important for us to be careful. Not to play around with spiritual things that aren't of the Christian faith. In my reading about contemporary exorcisms this week, which I did a lot of, and there's a lot of exorcisms, I continually heard the same refrains, that people can unknowingly or even on purpose engage in practices that invite evil spirits into their lives. These practices would include occult practices, attempted communication with the dead, Ouija boards, tarot cards, liturgies that aren't centered on the triune God. This is dangerous stuff. Don't invite that into your life. There are way better things to do with your time and things that have positive spiritual results or just positive practical results. But if you have engaged in any of these practices, I I encourage you to not feel shame about it, but to do something about it, to prayerfully offer this to God. Relinquish your guilt. You might want to, and I would advise this speaking to a mature and wise Christian friend or a pastor about this, reach out to us. Remember that confession leads to forgiveness, and forgiveness leads to freedom, right? Because Jesus' presence overcomes demons. Because we have to remember that this is not a conflict between two equal but opposite beings. God is the creator of all, and the Father created through Christ. Jesus has the utmost power over demons, and they know it. That's why they're pleading with him, not bargaining. That's why they don't attack him. They can't. God is everywhere and knows everything, which is a little scary, but also more than that reassuring, right? Demons are not. They do not know everything. They are not everywhere. And God's power so supersedes demonic power. It it reminds me of that moment in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy has just arrived in Munchkinland and the the Wicked Witch of the West shows up, and then Glinda the Good Witch says to her, you have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops a house on you. And she disappears, right? She has no power here. And it's like this with Jesus, but real, not imaginary, because Jesus' presence overcomes demons. But we too, just like those people who witnessed that miracle, we can say, please leave to Jesus. We can do that. We have the freedom to do that. God has created us as human beings to have free will, to choose. And we can choose God in Christ or we can choose not God. We can follow God's path or we can choose our own. And one path leads back home home where we can tell our story of what God has done for us, but the other path is a path into sea, into the chaos of death. Christians have been leaning into these truths of Jesus' power over the demonic realm for thousands of years. Back 1600 years ago when Great Britain was still a part of Rome, a young 16-year-old man named Patricius Was taken as a prisoner by a warring tribe of Irishmen. And he was sold as a slave to a warrior chief where his job was to herd pigs. Now, Patricius had been raised in a Christian community, but his faith had kind of just been nominal. He just was because his parents were. However, in the hunger and thirst and loneliness of his existence as a slave on those Irish hills, he began to pray. He began to recognize the presence of God with him. He writes, I would pray constantly during the daylight hours. The love of God and the fear of him surrounded me more and more, and faith grew, and the spirit roused so that in one day I would say as many as a hundred prayers, and at night only slightly less. He began fasting which is interesting since he was already starving. But anyway, um, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, Patricius escaped slavery and ran away 200 miles where he found a ship set for Gaul, which is France, where he arrived there and there were more trials and he spent some time studying the Christian faith and then he was able to return home to Britain. And there he experienced a call to return to Ireland as a missionary. And in his missions work, he encountered people of deep belief in supernatural beings and magic. He had confrontations with powerful druids and spiritual powers. He also confronted other powers and principalities, including that of slavery, which was obviously an issue close to his own heart. When some of the new Christians that had been ministering to were taken as slaves by a British tyrant, Patricius wrote this tyrant, Caroticus, a letter. And the letter said, ravenous wolves have gulped down the Lord's own flock, which was flourishing in Ireland, and the whole church cries out and laments for its sons and daughters. Maybe you've figured out by now that Patricius is known to us as Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. One of the gifts of Patrick to the church is a prayer that's attributed to him. It's often called St. Patrick's Breastplate. This is a prayer that helps us identify our union with Christ, Christ's eternal presence with us, and the protection that Christ offers from the powers and principalities. We remember as we pray this prayer that the same one who cast out demons ministered to this lonely slave alone with the pigs. The same one who stilled the storm is the same one who defeated the Satan and all the demons in his death on the cross. And he's the same one who rose from the dead and ascended to glory. And so with that, I invite you to join with me, to stand, to pray part of this prayer together. It's a long one, but we can do it. I invite you to read the bold print, and I will will read the light print. And then after we pray the prayer, we will be singing part of it with the band. So my friends, let's pray together. You can begin. We rise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom through God's strength to pilot us, God's might to uphold us, God's wisdom to guide us, God's eye to look before us, God's ear to hear us, God's word to speak for us, God's hand to guard us, God's shield to protect us, God's host to save us from snares of devils, from temptation of vices. against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose our body and soul, against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of paganism, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts the body and soul, Christ to shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. We rise today through mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Amen. Amen.